This is part three, and today we're going to talk about faith and fear, or fear and faith. Remember, I've said over and over again, fear not is one of the most repeated statements in the Bible. It's been said and counted that there's 366 fear nots in the Bible. One for every day of the year and even for leap year. So God is trying to teach us something about fear. And that is, not today. Not today. Fear not. The sobering fact is, though, that fear is the number one accepted sin in the church today. Did you know fear is sin? Fear is saying, I don't trust you, God. Fear is faith that something bad is going to happen. So, in reality, that's saying, I don't trust you, God, to work everything out for my good. Now, again, like I just shared the testimony about my dad, doesn't mean you're not going to go through problems. I mean, what, what, when was that picture out there, um, footprints in the sand? Has anybody ever seen that picture, footprints in the sand? Yeah, see, all the older people said yes. The younger people are like, what? Footprints in the sand. A one younger person is probably hanging up in your mom's house. That's why, right? Yep, aha! Uh -huh. Footprints in the sand. It talks about this long poem or whatever story about two, you know, Jesus and this man walking through on the sand. And all of a sudden he looks back and he notices during the darkest time in his life, during the worst part in his life, there was only one set of footprints. And he's like, see God, you left me. Where did you go when I needed you the most? And simply said, it was during that time that I carried you. See, we might not physically feel God is with us when we're going through our dark times. Normally, it's because we've got our eyes focused on that fear or that trial or that problem instead of keeping our eyes focused on him. See, if we keep our eyes and our face turned full in the face of God when we're going through our troubles or we're going through our trials, he scoops us up, holds us in his arm. And if we keep our face full looking into his wonderful face, everything's okay. It might get a little hot. It might get a little smoky around us. You know, the lions might start roaring around you. But God will be whispering in your ear. You know, the kids were just picking on me last night. I had Isaiah and Rachel and Owen and Shar and everybody at the house. Well, Aubrey, our grandbaby, our little uh, daughter, she's six months old. Well, ever since, you know, I was there and she was born in the hospital, scooped her right up when I was able to hold her and I started singing right away. Gigi loves you, little girl. Gigi loves you, little girl. And every time I hold her, I sing that little lullaby to her. So she knows that no matter where she's at or what she's going through, when she gets older and she feels like she's too big to sit on my lap, I'll pull her and I'll hold her close and I'll sing the song again. Because I want her to know I'll never leave her. I'll never not love her. There will be nothing she can ever do to take the love away from me. For her. What do you think God's heart is for you? 
He says, fear not. Why? Because you can trust him. And so when the world is screaming around you, listen for the melody of heaven to sing your lullaby in your ear. Because he's wanting to scoop you up. But when you're running around from the big bad devil and you're worried about this and you're worried about that and fearful of this, he's still singing your song. But you can't hear him. The first two weeks, let me just kind of give you a little recap. I'll start my timer now so the last 10 minutes were free. Um, a recap of the last two weeks. The first two weeks I focused just on fear itself. Some of the things that uh, main points from that first week included that you got to remember fear puts limitations on God. God, you're not big enough. God, you're not strong enough. God, you can't possibly do this because I've seen other people and this is what they went to and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But again, fear is faith that something bad is going to happen. Why do you want to think that way? It, 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 we're getting close to Christmas time. I'm ready to put up my Christmas tree already. Let me just say, I am ready for Christmas. I love Christmas. Fear is looking, uh, sorry, Christmas tree, presents under there, and thinking all bad things are under there waiting for you to open them. Is that what you do? No, don't you expect some good things under there? Yeah. You have more faith in those presents than you do in God. Come on, fear is faith that something bad is going to happen. Why do you want to sit around and wish and hope for that? If you want to sit around and wish and hope for something, make it good. Like Dale's car he's going to give me. Didn't you say that? I thought I heard that. Okay. Just clarifying. Uh, worry and anxiety are symptoms of fear. We covered that. Worry and anxiety are anchored in this world. Think about that. What you have, what you don't have, what you might lose, none of which are anchored in heaven. Worry and anxiety is believing that this world is all you have. Think about that. What are you worrying about? What are you anxious about? What are you fearful about? They're all earth-based. This world, they're all anchored just in this world. Faith is anchored in heaven. So I might go through this. So this might happen. So that might happen. So what? What's more important? What's more important? Worry is a weight that you were never meant to carry. And I shared with you that first week that it, when we adopted um, our first set of boys, the one five years old or six years old, I, can't, I think he was six years old when he came in the house, worried constantly. And over and over and over and over again, setting them down and saying, Dude, what are you worried about? And it would be big things. And I'm like, all you have to do is eat, sleep, poop, and do it again. That's it. I take care of everything else. 
There is nothing that you need to worry about. Really, is there anything you need to worry about? And will your worry add any good to the situation? The second week, we focused on the 2 Timothy 1.7, which is the answer to all fear. Everything God gave us in that one sentence to overcome any and all fears. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That's everything you need to overcome any and all fears. You have been given authority over all the power of the enemy. And I gave the illustration of a, a sheriff has a badge. That's authority. He also carries a gun. That's power. The sheriff is over all his officers who also carry a badge and a gun. But the sheriff's badge says, I have authority over all their power. Who's the new sheriff in town? We are. He said, I've given you all authority over all the power of the enemy. We are the new sheriff in town. The only way the enemy can gain power over you is through wrong thinking. Wrong thinking. That's how you surrender your authority to him. Believing the lie empowers the liar. So what are you doing even listening to him like my dad said? What are you doing even listening to him? Every time he opens up his mouth, he lies. Believing the lie empowers the liar. And then perfect love casts out all fear. But the kicker is that we learn in that second week is God's pouring out his love. Remember, perfect love casts out all fear. He's pouring out his love to us. The kicker is we have to receive it. We have to receive it. Otherwise, we'll live as orphans in the world. And yet, we are his sons, his daughters. Joint heirs with Christ. In this world, we are like Jesus. But we have to receive it. It's like going back to the illustration of the sheriff, the badge, the authority. If we keep that badge tucked away in a drawer and walk around in our civilian clothes... The enemy is going to run wild in our life. We have to put the badge on and start walking in the authority that's been given to us. That puts the enemy in his place. We have to receive that perfect love from the Father that will cast out all fear. That was just a, a summary of the first two weeks. So let's dive into part three, facing our fears. We're going to look at faith and fear. So turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I want you to understand that the opposite of fear is not courage, it's not boldness. It's faith. If there was, a, for all my Batman fans, if there was a Two-Face, 
in this message, the one side would be fear and the other side would be faith, not courage, not boldness. The flip side of the coin is not courage. It's faith. It's either fear-based or it's faith-based. Fear or faith. As a matter of fact, we should probably make that the title, fear or faith. There's a term going around that defines the majority of the Christian population today as Christian atheists. Christian atheists. They profess that they believe God, but they don't live like there is a God. They're Christian atheists. Let me just assure you that coming to church once a week doesn't make you a Christian any more than you standing in a garage will make you a car. Now that's an oldie but a goodie too. What do, we, what do we always ask somebody when we're starting to bring up a conversation? Um, are you a Christian? Yes. I go to church at... That don't make you a Christian. As a matter of fact, the first time that they used the word Christian to define uh, Jesus' disciples was more like a mockery of them. Oh, there goes those little Jesuses. It wasn't a good thing to be called a Christian. Jesus didn't say, go and make Christians in all the world. No, he said, go and make disciples. Why? Did you know disciple, the root word there, is talking about disciplined life. But see, we've kind of floated away from that. Well, we don't really want to be a disciple. We'll just be a Christian. That's a bad thing when you think about that. I don't want to live a disciplined life. I just want to show up to church once a week, and I'm a Christian. I don't want you to take that too far and go, all right, don't ever call anybody a Christian. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just trying to challenge you. It's more than just coming to church once a week. Christian atheists, they face everyday problems without bringing God into the picture. There's no divine intervention in practical living. This is the one who would say, well, God must have wanted it this way. God must have wanted me to go without this. You know, God's will, I have no control over God's will for my life. He just makes things happen, so there's really nothing I can do about it. Christian atheists, they profess they believe God, but they don't live like there is a God. So what keeps us from doing our part in ministry and seeing miracles happen on a regular basis? I believe this stems from um, being double-minded. And I want to focus probably the majority of our time on this. Because you cannot be an ambassador of God's kingdom and live like the world. That's the whole double-mindedness. And so this scripture, let's read it together in James chapter 4. Let me show you something, then I'll I'll share more. Starting at verse 4. 
says, you adulterous people. He gets right to the point, doesn't he? You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies or jealously longs for, envies intensely, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Going on here. Verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You understand who he's talking to here is Christians. Disciples. Not, not non-believers. Because the term double-minded means that you are thinking earthly, or thinking heavenly and thinking earthly at the same time. You're, you're trying to live kingdom principles and yet live worldly principles too. And so you're trying to almost balance out the word of God. Well, I know God says this, but you know... After living so many years on this earth, this is what I've seen. That's double-minded. A double-minded person believes that faith is for their spirit, but the world is for living. Faith is good for Sunday or when you need something, but practical living and human reason will get you further in this world. Again, God is not describing someone who doesn't know the Lord as a double-minded person. Think about it. Someone who doesn't know the Lord can't be double-minded. They're just all worldly-minded, right? So a double-minded person, he's defining as a, or he's warning the Christian. Let me dig just a little bit deeper here. Um, and I... I always give credit where credit's due, and I didn't realize this. I didn't come to see this on my own, but through a message I was listening to. Um, in Matthew 13, the parable of the sowers. Remember Jesus was explaining that, you know, the farmer went out to sow, and he is talking actually about the word of God. He, he sows seed here, he sows seed here, and he talked about four different places where he sowed seed and what happened in those different places. One of them was on the path where the birds came and they ate it. The other was rocky places where they couldn't get any root, so when the sun come up, it scorched it, killed it. The other was thorns, but the weeds came in, choked it. Um, making it unfruitful. And then the last one was good soil. And when he planted it in good soil, then it produced a great harvest. Well, the explanation of the thorns 
is what I want to draw your attention to. Jesus said the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries or the cares of this world, of this life, and the deceitfulness of wealth choked the word and made it unfruitful. The word cares defined there is double-minded. The person who receives the word yet lives double-minded actually makes the word unfruitful. Trying to think earthly and heavenly chokes the word of God from your life, rendering it unfruitful. In your life. So you ever wonder why you quote all the right scriptures, you say all the right things, you get on your knees, you pray, you do everything, the right formula, yet you don't get the answer that's promised? I have to believe it's from this double-mindedness. You've rendered the word unfruitful. Jesus also rebuked Peter, remember, in Matthew 16, 23, when Jesus told him again, I'm about ready to die. Remember how many times he told him over and over again, over and over again, over and over again. I have to do this. I'm going to die. Peter stood up and declared, never, Lord, it'll never ha- I'll never let it happen. And Jesus said, what did he say in 23? Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Double-mindedness. James 4 that we read, it warns us, you cannot be earthly-minded and heavenly-minded. And God gives us his instructions. He said, wash your hands, purify yourselves, purify your heart, repent. If you're battling with being double-minded, and it's so easy to do nowadays. It is. Because you always have people trying to encourage you, well, well, don't get upset if that miracle doesn't come through, you know, because, well, maybe God just wanted it that way. Oh, don't worry when you're, when you're struggling in your finances and things. God kind of, you know, you, that's probably God wanted it that way. See, it's easy to be double-minded and you don't even realize it's happening. But I'm trying to encourage you today. It's either faith-based or it's fear-based. And fear is a sin. Double-mindedness like that is a sin. I hear it constantly. I was battling it constantly with dad in the hospital room. Because the nurses and doctors would come in and say, I mean, they encouraged him when they told him he was having to go in for emergency surgery. Do you know you can die? This surgery could kill you. Oh, let's, hey, let's get it done. You know you're going to be paralyzed for the rest of your life if you don't get this surgery right now. 
We're praying for healing, God to align that bone, remove that. and You know, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying. But in the next breath, I hear people saying, but it's okay if this don't happen because, you know, I know a brother or an uncle or, or a sister who went through the same thing and, you know, they've been in a wheelchair ever since. What? Double-mindedness. He warns us, you can't do this. You can't be worldly minded and say you love God and following him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You can't do both. He says, repent, come near to God, resisting the devil. Come near to God, resisting the devil, resisting the wrong thinking. Humble yourself before God. And then he says, and he'll pour out his grace upon you. You wonder, how can I be peaceful in a storm? Because when you repent, when you turn to God, come near to God, he comes near to you. And he says, that's where I'll pour my grace upon you. You'll wonder, why do I have such a peace in the middle of a storm? Peace that passes all understanding. Humble yourself before God. Repent. I just want to give you a few things before I close. I, I want you to understand that right here, that I mean, my life group's going through the battlefield. No, I'm not the battlefield of the mind, the, the supernatural power of a transformed mind. So we've been doing a lot of talking about the mind. It really is the gate. It really is the gate between. Heaven's kingdom ruling in our life or the worldly things ruling in our life. We control. We control what we think about. You are not a victim of your thoughts. If you just let them go willy-nilly, well, good luck with that. I mean, I know back at home in Lansing, we used to call it, there's a room for you on the fourth floor of the hospital. Because there was a fourth floor in the main hospital and it was for, well, the rubber rooms. If you just become a victim, think I'm just a victim, I can't control my thoughts, they just pop up and I don't know. There's a room for you on the fourth floor. You are not a victim of your thoughts. You erect strongholds in your thinking that keep you from receiving by believing something that is contrary to the word of God. Remember again, Eve said, Eve said, Satan said to Eve in the garden, did God really say that? It'll keep you from receiving when you believe something that is contrary to the word of God. When you have a thought pop into your mind that makes you go, hmm, did God really say that? Right away, there should be warnings going off. Bing, 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 bing. Did God really say that? Well, where do we normally go for an answer to that question? Hey, Anna, did God really say that? And Anna's like, hmm, I don't know. Did God really? Well, Dale, did God really say that? And Dale's going, hmm, let's think about that. No, what are you supposed to do? Pull it back to the original. Pull it back to the original. Look it up. Did God really say that? 
Oh, well, hello. There it is. God did really say that. When you start allowing those thoughts to come into your mind and you entertain them, they erect strongholds in your life that will keep you from receiving because you're believing something that is contrary to the Word of God. You render the Word unfruitful in your life. I like Bill Johnson said, any thought that does not inspire hope is not from God. I like that. Let me just shine a light right now on, on some of the devil's schemes in your thought life. You have to understand that the enemy will masquerade as you, as your voice. What's well, my thoughts? I'm just thinking. The enemy will masquerade as you. And as long as he can keep himself in the shadows, far enough in the shadows, so that you think, well, it's just my thoughts. I'm just thinking this. Then he has a place to keep feeding those seeds of doubt in you. Because, well, they're my thoughts. I'm, I'm thinking you can't be free from yourself. If you believe that's your thoughts, you can never get free from it. The Bible says that Satan roams around. This is a good one because this one, God just revealed this to me the last couple weeks. You always see the pictures, the lion, the lion, the lion. Who is the lion of Judah? Oh, it says right there. The lion of Judah has triumphed. Revelation. Jesus is the lion of Judah. I used to get confused thinking, wait a minute. Don't the Bible say that, this, that Satan is the lion? Roams around. Seeking whom he can devour. No, there's that word like. He roams around like a lion. He's masquerading as who? Jesus. The Bible also says he masquerades as an angel of light. So he is a thief, a liar, and quite the actor. Because he'll masquerade as you, as an angel of light with a word for you from God. And he masquerades as the lion of Judah, seeking whom he can devour. See, if you constantly entertain these thoughts as, well, they must be the word of God. They must be from an angel. I have a new revelation from God. Or it's just my thoughts. Hey, I'm just thinking this. I have a right to think this. You can never be free of it if you don't shine a light on who it is under that mask. Perfect time at Halloween time. Think about it. He's got a mask with your face on it, with an angel's face on it, and with Jesus' face on it. And which one are you entertaining? You need to rip off the mask and show him for who he is. He's a liar. He's a thief. If you don't question your thoughts, you can't change them. I want you to ask yourself frequently, is this thought faith-based or fear-based? Is this thought I'm thinking, is this situation that I'm believing, is it fear-based or is it faith-based? 
There is no in-between. If the thought does not acknowledge God is on the throne and God is in control, it's fear-based. Like I said, when we were in the hospital, I had to, I mean, I was battling consistently. It's so easy to slip into that. Yeah, that's true. You know, you could die from this. You know, I, I've heard it, you know, over and over again. Even anesthesiologists do their best, but, you know, things can happen. Yeah, things can happen. And then you start thinking, oh, what's my life going to be like if they do die? And now, next thing you know, you're, you're starting to entertain and you're starting to actually uh, play out scenes in your mind that become fear-based. And they will keep you from receiving because you're believing something that is contrary to the Word of God. God is our healer and ever-present help in our time of need. He has already healed us. And I promise, promise, I promise, he said he will never leave you. Remember Psalm 23, we went through that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, said I will not fear. Why? Because you're with me. You're here. God's here. He's with you. So here's the answer. How do I keep from being fearful instead and instead be faith-filled? Uh, I think Psalm 16, 18, David said it best. He said, I have set the Lord always before me. The minute you start drifting your eyes to something else, you'll start focusing on those. What, what a Peter stepped out of the boat, remember? He stepped out of the boat because he kept his eyes and his face looking right at Jay. He said, just say my name and I'm stepping out. Jesus said, well, come on, Peter. So he's like, <laughs> and he steps, <laughs> and he's still looking at Jesus, and he's getting closer. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, out of the corner of his eye, he's seen the waves, and all the waves, and he's farther away from the boat than he thought. How did he get that far out? And where is Jesus? And now all the waves are, are see, what was his problem? He took his eyes off Jesus. And the minute he called out, Jesus, he said right there, Jesus, what are you doing, Peter? Why are you afraid? I'm right here. Our answer is to keep the Lord always before us. Keep our eyes firmly focused on him. Single focus. You want to know how do I not fall into the trap of being double-minded? Hello. Set the Lord always before you. I love that song that they sung in worship today. Why? Because it's saying, I'll do it all for the one who saved me. I'll take up my cross. I'll pour out my love. All for the one. All for the one. All for the one who saved me. Not for the almighty dollar. Not so I can get a title at work. Not so I can have this or have that, but all for the one. All for the one. Single focused. Single minded. Don't let the enemy snatch away the word by having you look 
at the cares of the world. It rendered the word unfruitful, unproductive. Here it is. God is the author and the perfecter of your faith. I like that. If we're talking about faith and fear, showing you you can let go of fear when you turn your face and focus on Jesus. But you're saying, oh, but my faith is so weak. And he says, don't worry, bring that little weak faith to me. Right? Because he is the author. He gave you that mustard seed of faith. But he said, I'm the perfecter of your faith as well. You want to know how to be a mighty man or a mighty woman of faith? Hello. God said, I'll perfect your faith. Keep focused on me. Keep focused on me. Hebrews 12 One through two says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, the double-mindedness. That's the sin that so easily ensnares us, entangles us. We set it aside and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Where? Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You cannot reason your way into greater faith. Again, the opposite of fear is not courage or boldness. It's faith. Trusting in God. Every great miracle begins with faith. Amy, if you can come up with the team or yourself um, as I get ready to close. Let me just Pastor Brenda translation again of Hebrews 11.1. Says, then faith. Being sure that what God says God will do becomes substance, becomes the reality. That no matter what I see now, it will come to pass. It will make itself known. It will declare God is on his throne. Faith. Faith. Not fear. Faith. Corey Ten Boom said, Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. But it starts with faith. Faith. You will never see the miracle if you don't step out of the boat. You'll never see the miracle if you don't step out of the boat. You'll never see the miracle in your life you've been crying out for until you step away from fear and look full in the face of faith, the author and perfecter of your faith. The new building that we're believing for. I've heard people say, we can't, we can't do that. It's too big. It's too much money. We can't look around. Hello, we're a small community. This is a poverty community. We can't raise $300,000. We can't build that building. Why don't you start thinking about something smaller? Something more feasible. Where's faith in feasible? 
lose faith in human reasoning. Faith-based or fear-based. Repent, you double-minded. If you believe that the building's too big, it's going to cost too much, you're thinking like Jesus rebuked Peter for. You're not thinking about God concerns. You're not thinking godly here. You're only thinking worldly concerns. You're only thinking like the world would think. Oh, we can't do this. Oh, oh it's too big for us. Or It's going to cost too much money. Philippians 4.19, it says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches. Daddy's got a big pocketbook. And he said, according to His riches. His riches. And we'll talk more about that next week when we start attacking the fear and finances. But I want to encourage you, 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14 says, Be on your guard. You understand that? Be on your guard. Be on your guard. Stand firm in faith. Be men of courage. Be strong and do everything in love. Be on your guard. What are you being on your guard about if you're always worried and concerned about this and that and taking care of this and taking care of that? Be on your guard. Faith. Single focused. When it starts to draw you away, when the enemy starts throwing thoughts in your mind that, oh, but you got to think about this, oh, but you got to think about that. Be on your guard. Stand firm in your faith. You know, no, I trust my God is big enough. I trust God will take care of everything. Yeah, I might walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will not fear. Because God is with me. God is bigger. What mountain, what mountain do you have in your life right now that is bigger than God? Nothing. You ever be, come on, let's just be honest for a minute. Have you ever been woken up in the middle of the night with like, Almost a panic attack. Don't give way to it. I mean, I was it, more so in the last month than ever in my entire life. And I bet it's because of this series we're going through. Set up and literally felt like my, almost like my stomach grabbed a hold of my heart and threw it up in my throat. Woke me up, set straight up, and I'm going, <gasps> and all of a sudden my mind's like racing, trying to think, what's going on, what's going on, and then this problem, boom, right center. What are you going to do about this? I'm like, oh, that, I ain't got time for that. God will take care of that. He stays up all night, he can take care of that. I'm going back to sleep. Right? Come on, don't allow yourself to be sucked into that double-mindedness and the cares of this world because it will make the Word of God unproductive, unfruitful in your life. Hold fast to that little bitty mustard seed of faith and bring it with you. Humble yourself and turn. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. And he says, he's not only the author of the faith inside you, he's a perfecter of it. 
So the more you keep turning to him, the more grace he keeps pouring on you, and the bigger and bigger your faith becomes. What, that mountain? That's nothing. You should see my God. My God's bigger than that. So if I could get you to just close your eyes right where you're sitting. I want to close this message. you almost sounds wrong but I want you to think about what is that biggest mountain what's that one thing that or maybe there's multiple things in your life that keeps drawing your attention and in your thoughts and and your affections and even your energy it seems like all your 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 energy is even feeling sapped by this thing or things in your life whether it's um, problems or uh, whatever maybe it's a sickness maybe it's financial maybe it's a relationship I want you to think about those things right now and then here here's where here's where you're gonna finally get freedom right now step back and pull the mask off the one that's been fueling those worries and those concerns and those problems in your mind and in your thoughts and in your heart. What? What? It was him? It was you? You're the one? Satan's like fueling that in your mind. And I want us to spend the rest of our time By just repenting of that double-mindedness and I want us to focus our attention on God and and Amy's gonna sing for us and so I want you to do this would you just stand up where you're at and I want you through this song to just come up front and I want you to do that I want you to just repent I want you to just ask God forgive you for being double minded the cares of this world has been choking the, the word of God in your life and you just need time to just draw near to God draw near to God draw near to God come on come on come on and if you're here today and Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior in, in a perfect let me just say a perfect relationship but that's just where you give all your heart mind soul and God to Jesus as your Lord and Savior or maybe you've drawn your heart away from him today's your day and you need to come up front and we'll pray for you you 